Romans chapter 8, verse 1. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified together with him. Again, Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans. The book of Romans is written to encourage Roman believers by recentering them on the gospel. In this passage, he gives confidence to the believers by demonstrating their eternal forgiveness and redemption. We have gone from chapter 7 where we talked about sin in the life of the believer, the role that the law plays in learning to live by grace and in faith and trusting God for redemption and for transformation. We're transitioning from that topic now to the confidence that we should have in the Lord. And the confidence that we should have in the Lord is knowing that we have been redeemed, knowing that we have been cleansed, knowing that we have been transformed into a new person. The confidence we should have in God centers on the gospel and what he has done for us. So to build this confidence, Paul, first of all, recalls what the Lord accomplished in the gospel. Secondly, he reminds us that the Spirit dwells within us, and then he tells us that the Spirit dwelling within us makes us children of God. And that's a big deal. That is not to be overlooked. So let's look at what the Lord accomplished in the gospel. Verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The confidence that we have 
is that those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior will never face condemnation, okay? You will never face condemnation. When you enter into the throne room of God on Judgment Day, you do not need to enter into the throne room in fear because you, knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, having been redeemed, having been saved, having been transformed, are no longer going to the throne room in order to be sentenced and condemned, but rather you are going to be welcomed into the kingdom and into everlasting life. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to be afraid of dying and going to hell. You do not have to be afraid of the eternal consequences of your actions because God has taken care of all of that on your behalf. You have been set free from the law. You have been set free from sin. You have been set free from bondage, and you have been made alive in Christ. You have crossed over a bridge. You have crossed a border. You have gone through a gate. You are in a different place now. You have been made free in Christ. You have been cleansed. You have been redeemed. You have been transformed. Okay, maybe the transformation process is still happening, but as far as God's concerned, it's as good as done. You're a new person. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Think about that. You have been passed from death to life. When I was born, I was passed from my mother's womb into this life that we have now. When I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I was passed from the condemnation of God into salvation, into his kingdom, into his family. And I will never again come into condemnation. I cannot enter again into my mother's womb. I, womb. I, cannot, I cannot be born again, physically speaking. That was Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. How can I do that? Can I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus says, okay, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Okay, I've been born once in the flesh. I have been born once physically. I was passed from that point to this point. When I was born spiritually, I was passed from the old man to the new man. And so are you. And so are you. That's, we, we're in a different place now. And we have been passed from death unto life. The day is coming that we will close our eyes to this world one last time and we will be passed from this world into the next. So I'm talking about these irreversible passings, right? When you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were irreversibly passed from death, passed from condemnation into eternal life, into freedom, into redemption. That's what the Lord accomplished in the gospel. In verses 3 through 4, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law had no way to redeem and save because the law only defined sin. Now, if you're up on the law and you know what all's in there, you say, well, what about the ceremonies? What about the temple worship? What about the sacrifices? What those did was they pictured how, how Christ would redeem us from the condemnation from the law. But the law could not redeem us. 
God saved us by sending Jesus Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh. What that means is he sent him to this world as a man. And he lived the life of a man. He was born. He grew up. He went to school. He had to do homework. He had to do memorization. He had to learn to read. He was a carpenter by trade when he became an adult, so I'm pretty sure he learned how to do math and probably learned a little bit of algebra in there, okay? He had to work for a living from the time he was 13 to the time that he began his earthly ministry. He worked for a living. You don't read anything about that period of his life in the Bible, but that period was there. Jesus knows what it's like to get up and go to work every day and to try to make ends meet. He lived that life. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. He did not rebel against God. He did not disobey God. He did not live to please himself, live to please his flesh. He lived the perfect life in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's law. He was tempted, tested, tried, went through all the same tribulations like as we do, yet he did that without sin. And having gone through life without sin, he then went to the cross where he bore the judgment of God for the sins of all mankind. God saved us by sending Jesus Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh to keep the law, to fulfill righteousness. And then when he fulfilled righteousness, there it is in the account. And as we study back in Romans chapter 4, when you believe, when you trust the Lord, that righteousness that Christ had gets credited to your account to where God sees you as righteous as his only begotten son. That's what God accomplished in the gospel. This righteousness is fulfilled in us. Not that we keep the righteousness, but that we're granted it by faith. Therefore, we walk by the Spirit. Verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The question this morning is, where is your mind? Is your mind on the things of the flesh? What's important to you? Is your mind on the things of the flesh? Is your mind on your pride, your accomplishments, whether or not you're being honored? Is your mind on the things that you have? Is your mind on the things that you own? Is your mind on the things that you want? Is your mind, maybe you're like, you don't understand, I'm not dreaming of a bass boat, Leland. I'm trying, trying to, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to feed the kids this evening. Is your mind on the things that you need? Where is your mind? Is your mind on the things of the flesh? Or is your mind set on the spirit? Is your mind on your salvation, your redemption, God's will for your life? Is your mind on the salvation and the redemption of others and what God's plan is? Where is your mind? Peace and hope is found and confidence is found when your mind is on the spirit those whose mind is on the spirit those are the ones who find life what god accomplished in the gospel was that redemption to rescue us from condemnation to rescue us from judgment that we no longer fear judgment we no longer fear condemnation because we have been passed transitioned transformed transferred transported from death unto life Secondly, Paul reminds us that the Spirit dwells within us. In verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, 
but in the spirit, I love that, that, that. When I was in seminary, that verse bothered me because, like, well, how does Paul know who all is in the audience? And shouldn't Paul be reminding them? And, and shouldn't Paul be questioning them? But Paul makes a very bold statement here. He says, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. That's a pretty confident statement, isn't it? He's writing to the, to the Christians in Rome. He's saying, I know you. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. There's a caveat. You've got to know the Lord is your Savior for the spirit to dwell within you. But his confidence in the Roman believers is that they are not in the flesh, but he is in the spirit. Notice that confidence. He doesn't question it. He doesn't cause the believers to question their salvation. He wants the believers to understand it. And I think one of the issues we've had in the religious world is we have this need to be able to count the number of converts that if we meet somebody that tells us they know Jesus as their Savior, we want to test their testimony, see if we can find a crack to convince them that, no, you didn't really have salvation after all. You really need to say this prayer or do this thing, and then I can count myself another convert. That's not good. That is not good. And the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. And the scripture doesn't do that. Okay? You, you have somebody that confesses to me that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. I'm going to take them at their word. Brother Leland, somebody came to you and asked you for baptism. Did you ask them about their salvation? I said, yes. What, what, do they, what, do they, what do they say to you? They said that they had turned from their sin. They trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord. Do you know that they mean it? That's not up to me to determine whether they mean it. That's between them and God. That's not, what, that's not the topic of the... I'm sorry. My tangents have gotten a lot more pointed lately. I've, I have noticed that. It's not compromised, though. He does say that you must have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And that happens when you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Hebrews 10.23 tells us to hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. So you want to know if you've got the Spirit dwelling within you? Do you want to know if you're in the Spirit as opposed to being in the flesh? I could give you a checklist. Well, do you live a good life or do you live a sinful life? If you're going to be honest, you're going to check the sinful life because we've all sinned this week. Then you're going to feel like you're not in the Spirit, you're in the flesh. Okay, well, I'll baptize you again. I'll baptize you again. And now you're in the Spirit until... You get into it with the waitress at the restaurant after church, and now you're back in the flesh. We've got to start this all over again. That's exactly the scenario that Paul is telling us not to be in in Romans chapter 7. If you're in that scenario, you're trusting the wrong person for your righteousness. You're looking to your own righteousness. We're to look to God. We are to look to God. Okay? So how do I know if I'm in the Spirit? How do I know if I'm saved? Go back to your moment of salvation. Go back, hold fast. That means to cling tightly to the profession of your faith. What's the profession of your faith? That's your moment of salvation. That's your testimony. That's how you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Go back to that moment. Remember it. Maybe you were four years old when you were saved. That happens quite a bit. And you can't remember that exact moment. You remember that that moment was there. Cling to that. Go back to that. Remembering your salvation. Remembering you repenting and trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior that is your reminder that you are a child of God and that you are in the Spirit. Being in the Spirit is not a Holy Spirit supercharged event that can only happen if you've entered this deep state of meditation, cutting yourself off from all distraction, including your family, your spouse, your children, 
and you gotta you gotta go in your room or get away from everybody you get on a mountaintop and just sit there and meditate all day and then at the end of the day wow you're in the spirit that's not what it means to be in the spirit being in the spirit means that the spirit has indwelt you and that happens when you come to know the lord is your savior Verses 10 and 11 say, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Jesus Christ dwelling within us transforms us and creates us into new people. He gives us hope. He gives us life. He gives us this whole new experience to live. And we know that one day when this body wears out and it quits working, that the day will come that his spirit will re-enter into this body, re reconstruct this body into its glorified form, and I will rise again to new, to new life forever and ever. We have that confident expectation. Being in the spirit gives us that confidence. Is the spirit within you? Can you remember or do you know of your moment of salvation? And if you do, you can have confidence that you are in the Spirit, that the Spirit is within you, that the Spirit dwells in you. I mean, the Apostle Paul's not saying, now you guys are in the Spirit if you're doing all these different things, and you need to make sure you're doing all these different things so you can be in the Spirit. He, he doesn't say that. He goes, I know you're in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Well, how can the Apostle Paul know that they're in the Spirit and not in the flesh? He's never even met these people. He hasn't. He's never been to Rome. Not, at least not when this was written. He ultimately makes it. That turned out to be quite a trip. But he tells them, you're in the spirit. How can he know? He knows because of the salvation that they profess. That's how much God loves you. You're not walking on eggshells here. You have been given confidence in the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants you to have. I mean, he does. But more importantly, that's what God wants you to have. Thus, we become the children of God. Verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You are not a debtor to the flesh. You do not have to obey the desires of the flesh. You do not have to obey your addictions. You do not have to obey your habits. You do not have to obey temptation. You are not a debtor to sin. You are not a debtor to trauma and triggers. We, we hear a lot of that in today's time, and there is a lot of that going on. Uh, we, we are recognizing mental health. We are understanding what's going on with mental health, with uh, PTSD, with trauma, with triggers. And they, these are real deals, but you are not a slave to those, that there is healing in Christ Jesus. That there is healing of that in the gospel. Doesn't mean that you'll ever get to a point where you don't feel things, but you'll get to a point where you're not ruled by those things. I work, with a, I work with a veteran. He served in Afghanistan. We had a trigger this past week involving an online digital meeting, a Zoom meeting. And somebody popped up there, no lighting, could only make out the silhouette of the individual, and the audio was bad. He's like, man, that's just like the videos that the Taliban used to send us. Used to send us. I mean, he, now, trigger... But what he didn't do was he didn't dive under the table. He didn't have an outburst. He made a joke about it. He reacted to it. 
He shared with us what was going on, then we went on about the day. There's a trigger, there's a trauma, there's PTSD, but it did not rule him. There is healing in Christ Jesus. There is. There is healing. There is overcoming. Verses 13 through 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you live according to the flesh, that will lead to death. For the believer living according to the flesh will lead to destruction in this life. For the non-believer living according to the flesh leads to eternal damnation. But those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And that changes the whole conversation. Verses 15 through 17, for if you did not receive the spirit of for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. God did not send Christ to the cross so we could spend the rest of our lives fearing his judgment. He did not have Jesus die for our sins so that we could live in fear of backsliding and re-entering condemnation and going to hell when we die. He did not send Jesus to the cross so that we could constantly drive ourselves crazy trying to live up to this pharisaical, legalistic lifestyle. That's not why he sent Jesus to the cross. He sent Jesus to the cross to redeem us, to save us, to cleanse us, to purchase us from the slavery of sin, and according to this passage, to adopt us into his family. We are now, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we are now the children of God. Amen. And that changes the conversation. Because in that case, sin and failure become a disciplinary issue, which that's not fun, but it is an expression of love and it gives us hope. Our position in the family is secure. So I've got kids playing in the front yard of my house. They're playing with a baseball. This is a fictional account, by the way. They're playing with a baseball. Baseball flies through my living room window. Living room window shatters. I don't have a judgment situation. I'm not calling the cops. I'm not reporting vandalism. I'm not suing my kids. I'm, I'm pro I probably yell at them. Why don't y'all watch what you're doing? But no, there's no, there's no lawsuit. There's no police. There's no police report. There's no vandalism. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody gets fined. But I have to teach them to be more careful with where they play baseball. Man down the street throws a brick through my window. I've got a law enforcement issue. I am calling the cops on him. I can't have neighbors throwing bricks through my windows. You see what I'm saying? We are not God's neighbors down the street. He doesn't call the cops on us. When we mess up, it's a disciplinary issue. And the discipline is not fun. But the Bible teaches us that the Lord he chastises and scourges every son that he receives. That means he disciplines us. And when he disciplines us, he does it perfectly. 
It's not like me screaming at the kids because all I'm seeing is the cross of the window that just got broken. He's disciplining us in a way to transform us into being better people. We're children of God. And being children of God, we no longer fear his judgment. What we are to take from Romans chapter 8 here is that we are to trust the Lord. We are to trust his grace. We are to trust his forgiveness. We are to trust his redemption. We are to trust that he has adopted us into his family. We are now children of God. And knowing that, we no longer worry about condemnation. We no longer fear death. We no longer fear hell. We no longer need to do that. We are no longer in a place of uncertainty. Therefore, we should have confidence in the Lord, confidence in our faith, confidence in our salvation. God wants you to have that confidence.